0: I ended up writing a jingle and I wrote a reggaeton jingle for their business and then posted it to Instagram, tagged them, and then instantly, like within five minutes, I got a DM from him saying like, that was the biggest flex of 2020. I want to meet you. This is Techie Personal Finance Bootcamp, where I help tech professionals in their 20s and 30s balance a great life today
1: without sacrificing their future possibilities. I'm your host, Lucas Caceres, certified financial planner and founder of Level Up Financial Planning where I help educate, coach and build strategies with my clients to help them take their financial confidence to the next level.
0: Disclaimer alert. This information's for education. So don't just go use it. First consult with your financial advisor cuz that's way more legit. That's it.
1: Thank you for joining Techie Personal Finance Bootcamp. I'm super excited because I have my friend Orlando Gomez joining us today, and he's going to share with you how he broke into tech by writing a jingle. And if you didn't catch, that is actually uh, the same person who has been doing my opening compliance disclosure for me. So thanks again, Orlando. This is finally his episode where I'm sharing his story with you, and it will not disappoint. His journey into tech is definitely not traditional, uh, but... just through the stories that he shares about his career path, as well as just the things that he likes to focus on and how he goes about standing out from the crowd. will give you a couple ideas if you're struggling to find that next fit, or even if you're just trying to identify what your superpower is that you want to unlock and focus on as you proceed throughout your, your career. So a little bit about Orlando before we dive into his interview. Orlando is a first-gen Mexican-American from Chicago South Side. His parents are from Guanajuato, and his dad settled here as a steelworker working the fields in California. His father brought his mom over, and Orlando was born here in the U.S. Orlando received a bachelor's in business management from Robert Morris University in Illinois. It's pretty cool because in one of his stories, he shares how he was not always at the greatest student, but a unique opportunity after school program kind of got him into finance and that, that was his first position out of college. And from finance, he ended up finding his way to the Peace Corps and doing some pretty awesome things that I'm excited for you to hear as well. And once he came back, he dove back into finance again, he ended up getting his MBA and when the pandemic hit, he, he thought that you know what, not being fulfilled, I'm not doing my kind of life's work at this moment. So he was looking for opportunities to break into text. Again, his stories that he's gonna share with you are super awesome. And he's it, just a great person. You'll be inspired, you'll you'll laugh throughout the, the whole episode. So I hope you enjoy this and definitely reach out to Orlando, follow Orlando on the different social media because uh, he is cranking out just inspirational and and funny things to kind of get you through your week. Thanks for coming on the show today, Orlando. After looking over and reading your bio, it seems like you could be about 50 years old, but looking at you, you're definitely not 50. So take me back to the beginning. You can go as early in your kind of story as you want, but as a first generation Mexican American, like what was the earliest memories that you had on like the concept of work and potential career opportunities for yourself?
0: Luke, I mean it's it's been a long time coming. I'm glad we can finally meet. I that's a great question in terms of like the concept of work. So I guess to give some background because I just my identity is a big part of me. Yeah. So Mexican American, my parents are from like a little ranch town outside of my dad came over from the US. He was in the strawberry fields of California for a bit before he found his way to Chicago and then like became a still worker. That's- and so I grew up on the south side. I had my two brothers grew up here in Chicago. My sister was born in Mexico, and then they came back because we were back and forth. And then yeah. I was born here in Chicago. So like the work ethic, obviously, as you as you would know, because Mexican Americans just like just live and breathe work. Like <laughs> yeah. we like we have zero chill, and that just like comes comes with it. So I, I well. First, like I, I know, like I guess it's stereotypical, but like mowing the lawn was like yeah. easily like my, one of my first cash generating activities growing up. I don't know, probably like seven or eight mowing like the neighbor's lawns. Being in Chicago, like shoveling snow for neighbors was yeah. it was a big cash generating activity as well. And then actually, like the the very first thing that I remember where I like thought of myself as kind of an entrepreneur was uh, selling Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh cards. Okay. Um, and yeah. it was just, yeah, it was it was like, I would save up my allowances, go to 7-Eleven get a brand new packet, hoping that there's some rare card in there where yep. holographic Charizard or something. <laughs> yep. uh, and then I would go to the neighborhood park and then I would like sell and then like take bids on the cards and then like turn a profit. And then yep. I'd use that profit to then reinvest in like, Yu-Gi-Oh. And then like, if I had like enough discretionary income, I'd buy like choco tacos and like flaming Hots with cheese. I'd like, I'd live the good life. Back like, around probably like nine or 10, uh, whenever those were out. But that's how I, I always remember like, it was always like, well money, we, so I come from like a low income background. So like free lunch, food stamps. Like we were food stamp eligible and we had it for like a little bit, but. I think in the immigrant culture, there's this stigma around, like, government assistance sure. that we really need to, like, address because, like, it's helpful to the people that really need it. Yeah, coming from, like, the working background, it was just like, well, it, you don't want to be looked at as, like, I don't know, lazy or, yeah. or something like that. But so, like, money wasn't just, like, uh, abundant. But, like, when it when, when it was, like, when I had access to, like, my own cash, then I just remember like, I don't know, yeah, treating yourself to like sneakers and, and the latest fashion <laughs> and like whatever, whatever luxuries you could have.
1: Yeah. When was the kind of first time that you started thinking of like careers when I grow up type things?
0: I think, well, the very first thing that I remember wanting to be was first it was a firefighter. And I think I've always kind of had this this, I've, I've thought about this some more. I've, I've kind of had this like need for service. And I think it's like, because like m- my parents also always looked out for like the family and their own family as well. And like like this servant leadership kind of mentality. So like firefighter was like the first thing that came to mind. Then it was lawyer because it was like, well, I want to have an impact. Yeah. I want to help the world. It became lawyer. Then eventually, like in high school when it was actually starting to formulate like what I can do as a career, there was this after-school program called Youth About Business, and it took essentially inner-city kids from different cities, and it put them through this like mergers and acquisitions competition, and it just taught them about finance. It was amazing. I had zero idea. I wasn't good in school at all. I was like, like almost getting expelled, and like going to summer school every year. But like since this was an after-school program, that didn't matter. And that's why like, I, I'm really like a big advocate of just like those extracurriculars because that exposed me to finance and they like, through the case competition, the winners in the Chicagoland area, we got a trip to New York. My first time out of the city, I oh. sold Wall Street, Times Square, got to ring the closing bell on the New York Stock Exchange. And then, so like that blew my mind. I was like, well, <laughs> finance it is like, yep. like, I have to find a way to get there at, so then like that's when i started reading like michael lewis books and i started watching movies like boiler room wall street <laughs> <laughs> like the classics and it just like with every new content that i absorbed i just had this like i don't know this this gravity that was like pulling me towards like finance and and wall street and just like because i saw like the the power of it i saw like the impact that it could have and it wasn't something that was in our family. Like we didn't have people in finance, yep, yep. something new. So it was a challenge. And I was like, well, let me be the first one, I guess. And then I let me pull people along the way.
1: That's awesome. And you caught the bug way before I did. I, I had some similar experiences. Actually, how old are you? I'm trying to, I'm going to do the 30. How, yeah. how? 30 or 1990. Yep, yep. That makes sense. Cause yeah, I'm 34 and I think I was, a few years older than you when the Pokemon came out and I never got into the Yu-Gi-Oh but I do remember kind of wheeling and dealing some of that stuff and, and yeah so there's that's as far as like my financial side ever got until I got into I ended up becoming like a teller at a bank and so that's where my early experience was like oh like people make a lot of money like doing different stuff and then they offered me like a 401k plan and I was like Wow, I just made a whole bunch of money, and it was like right after the financial crisis, so I was buying everything at all time lows, and and everything started going up from there. So it's like this is super impactful. So that's awesome that you had that after school activity, kind of got your gears turning, and then the fact that you won that that program too, that to go and experience New York, I'm sure that was a huge kind of pivotal event in your life. Yeah, how how were there the early years and kind of finance because spoiler alert, you're not in finance specifically at this point, but like what, what was that kind of experience like for you?
0: My, so when I saw kind of my, when I got exposure to Wall Street, I wasn't academically in a good place. Uh, So like, I kind of like didn't apply to college. So I didn't really set myself up for uh, success at that moment, but I was at least exposed to finance. So like I, wanted to get there. So what ended up happening was I went to a college, Robert Morris College that's here yep. in Chicago. They uh, they sent me like a admissions letter saying like I was accepted. I didn't even apply, but like I was very <laughs> thankful that they someone would accept me. So I went, I got a um, bachelor's in business management. They didn't have like a finance specific program, but at the time I was still interested in finance. So my very first job was actually uh, as an assistant store manager at Walmart in, in Columbus, Ohio. Okay. So, so then I, I went there and was like, did retail management for about three months and just hated it. Like <laughs> I, was, I was 20 at the time in charge of about a hundred people. And yeah. I had people <laughs> who were like setting fires to the Walmart. I had, I had customers who were like soliciting illegal activities in the Walmart. And I was like, I'd, this is not the life I want to live just yet. If I if if I can avoid it, so then I kind of then hone back in on like okay, what do I want to do? Finance. So I actually came across this opportunity with Charles Schwab. It wasn't yeah. it was in their call center actually. It was in Indianapolis, Indiana, and I had this crossroads where I had an opportunity for Target, which was retail management as well, back in Chicago, which was paying like fifty five thousand, which was a lot of money to me at the time. Yeah, and, and Charles Schwab, I had. An opportunity with them for like thirty-two thousand, so it was like twenty-two to twenty-three thousand dollars off difference. But Charles Schwab would be in finance, so yeah. I had to like decide like what what do I want to do? Do I like do I set myself up and take a lower salary now, or do I just kind of earn a higher fifty-five thousand dollars salary base, which was more than like any of my family had ever made. Yeah. Um, yep. That's crazy. So I, I, took the, I took the bet. I was like, okay, Charles Schwab it is. And it was a call center for a year, but you got licensed. They would oh, like pay for your licenses. And so yep. then I got my stockbroker license. And then from then I was like in finance, like from then, like I could then like switch off to other private wealth firms. And, yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot easier. Cause that's, that's one of the requirements, right? Like must be have
1: series seven, series six, whatever. And, yeah. and you got that all kind of locked down. So that's, that's awesome. So you got that exposure, customer service, got licensed. What, what was the next kind of logical step for you at that point?
0: Yeah. Once I got licensed, I was in Indianapolis. It was still a call center environment. I was placing trades, but it wasn't as exciting. And I wanted to get back home in Chicago. So, <laughs> so I ended up was landing a job with Credit Suisse. It was Credit Suisse when they had their private wealth management in the U.S. They have since uh, ceased that business just to focus on like faster growing markets like Asia and Europe. Okay. Uh, They don't don't no longer operate in the U.S., but at the time they did. So I was doing, I was in the back office doing ops. So like trade settlements, wires, and things of that like nature in terms of like operations. Yeah. But then there was a... there was a relationship manager there, which is what we call like the managing directors, the people who actually had the book of businesses uh, <laughs> called Jeff. And for some reason, Jeff, I don't know what it was. But maybe it was like the attitude that I brought to the office or he saw my work ethic. He like took a liking to me and uh, he's kind of like brought me onto his team. So he took me from back office to kind of front office. And then with him, I actually got to manage like his clients' money. So I, he managed just over a billion dollars in assets under management. Oh, so wow. I was making like million dollar <laughs> trades on a daily basis. It was it was exhilarating. Like I was finally like, it was, I mean, it was like frightening. Like the the errors I could make would uh, be way more than what they were paying me. So that I might as well just peck on my bags at that moment. But it, it was exciting. Like we, when it came to like IPOs, our clients would get like allocations. So we get like the hottest deals. Yeah, Credit Suisse ran with like the Alibaba deal when it came out. And I forget what that did the first day. It was probably like over 100% pop, like the very first day. Yeah. So it was, yeah. it's really fun when you would like call clients and you would say, hey, we've allocated uh, 100 shares of Alibaba to your account. You're up 100% for the day. And then like, that's an awesome call to make. But on the reverse, like not every IPO goes up. Uh, yeah. Yep. So you have to call them and say like, Hey, we allocated hundred shares. You're down, I don't know, $10,000 for the day. With investing here, yeah, there's that kind of double
1: edged sword for sure. And we saw it most recently with the, the coin IPO for Coinbase or whatever, like that drops like a rock and, and it hasn't really bounced back just yet. Sure. Long-term it might kind of recover, but yeah, that's, that's painful if yeah if someone gets too concentrated in that situation, but I'm sure
0: you focus on those more fun phone calls that you were able to make. Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny i I definitely bought coinbase at like the high. so I have I'm, I'm still in red there, but i'm I'm holding on until nope. uh, I get my money back
1: <laughs> for sure.
0: So the
1: kind of big change, big kind of shift for you, Peace Corps, so, like, what, what was that kind of push or, or pull that that made you jump in that direction?
0: Yeah. So, I, I, I was with Jeff and his team and our clients for about three years at Credit Suisse. And then it got to the point where business school, a lot of relationship managers have went to business school. And yep. that was kind of on the radar. And given, like, I didn't go to my, like, Undergrad graduation, I kind of always just assumed that I would have another one one day. Uh, So, so business school was on the radar, but I didn't feel like I had learned that much yet. Like, I hadn't seen that much of the world, I had only seen the Midwest. I had learned how to manage incredibly wealthy people's money, but I didn't even know how to manage my own, really, or my family's (laughs) money. So, it was like this warped view that I didn't feel like I had the complete picture yet. So then I started thinking uh, about, like, how can I see more of the world? And the Peace Corps had always just, for some reason, had always been something I had heard of. I never knew anyone that did it. But once I, like, started looking into it, at the time I applied, you could pick your country and you could pick uh, your program. So before you would just apply and they would send you anywhere in the world doing anything. When (laughs) I applied, I wanted, a I could select a Spanish-speaking country and I could select economic development. So something's still in my wheelhouse. Oh, wow. Cool. Yeah. And that landed in Peru. And I remember, actually, it's it's funny because a big reason I I, I pulled the trigger or went to the Peace Corps was I had thought about my grandma in Mexico. Yeah. uh, And she was a paletera or like she made paletas at home. And that was like her business. That's how she made money. Like the kids in the rancho would come to the knock on the door. I would help her. I would open the door, collect the change, run to the fridge. couldn't even reach the freezer. My my grandma would take the money from me, grab the paletas. And then there was like change on top of the freezer. She'd hand it down and I'd take the paletas and the change back to the kids. And I remember that business. And when it came to like the Peace Corps, and I was just like, man, it would have been so cool if there was like Peace Corps volunteers in like that little ranch, Jesus de Monta Guanajuato, who like actually showed like my grandma kind of the ropes of like how to like manage a budget or how to increase business or marketing, like anything, the basics. And I was like, well, like it would be pretty cool for me to go then do that for like other people. And that's essentially what the Peace Corps ended up being, which uh, it was just an ins- insanely amazing experience in which like, I, I didn't, at the time I was, I don't know, 24 25. And I didn't feel like I had accumulated all of these skills, but in comparison to like what of uh, the rest of the world yeah uh, those two too, like I, I had so much to teach. And I think a lot of people would who like cut themselves short, like they have, we have so much to teach And I was able to actually like do some good and like give back or help like impact people's lives.
1: Yeah. once I I definitely agree with you. I think a lot of people have that imposter syndrome over anything, but you just need to be at least one step ahead of that person you're trying to teach. And then all of a sudden it's like, you're making like a, a huge impact on their life, changing their trajectory. And I can only imagine how cool of an experience that was. Are, are you, Have you been able to keep
0: in contact with anyone that you met while you were down there? Yeah, yeah. I've been in contact with my family, my host family. So the Peace Corps, they put you with a host family. I was up in the mountains, no running water, <laughs> very like limited access to internet for two years. And my host family kind of like took me in and I've just been in contact with them, seeing them grow. My host mom was a teacher who would like travel by bus like uh, it was like an hour and a half each way to get to the school and my my host dad was a, a shoemaker yeah and just seeing them I still we like we came in contact through like whatsapp and uh facebook which they call el face uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, like it's just it's an awesome like out there in the peace corps it was like we did well, i was doing economic development which just essentially meant like meeting with like the local bodega owners and yeah. teaching them like like how to manage their 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 budget, how to manage their income, how to manage expenses. And then I also taught entrepreneurship like in the local high schools. So like ran kids how to like think of a business plan, how to do a brainstorm, then think of a business plan and how to like bring that into fruition. And then like the the extracurricular that Peace Corps allowed me to do was teach baseball. So I like taught a baseball academy in the Peace Corps, uh-huh. which yeah, it was amazing because like, I played <laughs> baseball growing up and like, I like in Peru, they only have two sports. The men play soccer and the women play volleyball. And that's literally like the only two sports that they have exposure with. And I'm terrible at soccer. <laughs> uh, so I I could have only imagined like if, if I my only outlet growing up was soccer, I probably would have had like a lot of like self-confidence issues or like not met a lot of the friends that I made. Yeah. And um, so then I, they had never seen a baseball. They had never seen a bat they had, they had no idea. I had, I took some equipment from the U.S. It was a boys and girls league and it was just so much fun just seeing their eyes light up and just like them getting to play with each other and learning this new sport. And I was like, wow, like, like it, it just goes to show, like it goes to sh- like be so grateful for like all the extracurriculars that we have here in the U.S. that like other people don't have. Definitely. And, and even like your experience of being able to do that
1: extra curricular after school thing, like I didn't have anything like that i probably would have had a, lot, a whole heck of a lot more confidence in starting my own business and doing my own thing if i had some of that exposure that you had and and it's really awesome that you brought like a whole new sport to those kids and yeah you could probably see like the ones that were horrible at, at soccer just kind of light up like oh yeah this is gonna be my yeah. game now like
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah <laughs> that's awesome and
1: yeah that's that's incredible i don't know if you ever seen the the movie it might be called like the air up there or something like that where kevin bacon goes to like some african country and then like he like makes a basketball team
0: or something or, or, no so. that sounds amazing
1: yeah it, it it's a good movie and then there's another cool run-ins with the jamaica yes. team like, that, that's, like that's what i'm picturing right you doing you, you were that coach for those for those kids that's awesome <laughs>
0: I think I, I know I like tweeted about this like the other day but like I I I love movies where like teachers or like coaches like believe in kids from like underprivileged backgrounds because yeah. like a lot of it is just exposure and access to resources like kids are just so full of energy and life and ideas and like but it, they need those like outlets to be able to like manifest them
1: Yeah. And the the thing about sports, I'm actually bringing on an intern for my business here soon. And like one of the questions I asked him, like he just kind of referred to like sports being like a big, big lesson for him just in general, as far as overcoming obstacles. He does wrestling. He was horrible at wrestling for like the longest time. And now he's going to the state and things like that. So he's stuck with it for multiple years. I'm like, heck yeah, that like whoever has you as an employee in the future, like that's a huge Thing to have is to stick with something, as painful as it is, even when you're not getting the wins, and you're able to narrow in on those smaller wins, and that that's what sports can definitely do for a lot of people is build confidence at whatever that next level is for them to increase. They they don't have to be the very best person to build confidence. It's hey, I got a hit today. I didn't get a hit last time. I made that awesome catch, and like you, they'll replay those things back. So like, yeah, all you need is to think back on any new challenge ahead about those different times that you overcame obstacles, those small wins you've had. And if you believe in are confident that you can overcome something, most of the time you're going to be able to do it. It's just a kind of some phenomenon that I've seen occur hundreds of times over. And I'm sure you've seen it in your personal life and, and awesome people that you look up to. They, they all had challenges like that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I just finished reading Angela Duckworth's book, Grit. it's all about like just like this defining a grit score and a person's like grit and how that correlates to their ability like like overcome challenges and stick through things to the end and how kind of like you're saying like I think wrestling is a great one because like you're literally being challenged and in pain uh, (laughs) as you're doing the activity but it's the person who can like take that pain the longest and keep cool and calm and, and figure out what to do in that situation that ends up winning in that. I'm sure there's like, there's natural genetic abilities involved. but There's also just like the, the willingness to be able to fight through something that's difficult and not give up just because you're, you're uncomfortable. And I remember like in the book that I think it was Harvard when they were accepting students into their program like D1 athletes uh, or whatnot, like they didn't necessarily care if a D1 athlete like was injured. I mean, of course they would care about the health of the student, but more so like they knew that that D1 athlete, everything that they put in to make them of that caliber, that they could just channel that energy into anything else at Harvard and any other program or like subject and that they'll be fine because it's like that kind of caliber of person. Yeah. It's really, it's just like multi, multi multi-variable.
1: Yeah. Yep. And then, so how the heck did you end up in tech? Like, well, what's going on? <laughs> wearing your drift hoodie, you've been ah, relaxing. So 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 I'm over here wearing a dress shirt. Not, ah. not the, the same getup that you had back at Credit Suisse and, and Charles Schwab, but yeah, you're looking super comfortable. How how did you yeah. get to where you are today?
0: I so yeah. I after business school, I ended up going to tech Business School at Dartmouth, and after business school, I went to Investment banking in New York, so I was working at Credit Suisse and investment banking and in their industrials group, covering like big conglomerates and aerospace companies. So I did that for about a year, and I just didn't find it fulfilling. And I, I think it's this I, it's this thing about I guess my personality as well that like. I look at work and what we do uh, with all of our waking hours as kind of like a calling. And if you're spending most of your time doing something that really doesn't fulfill you in several different ways, then it's not the best use of your time. There's 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 situations in which you just can't avoid that because you need to put food on the table. But if, if you have if you're privileged enough, you should be ideally working on things that that give you energy and not just take it. So after a year of banking i ended up leaving I, it was like over 100 hours a week every single week Oh god! yeah, yeah. That sounds horrible no wonder what the hell really, yeah i think there's <laughs> like 168 hours in in a week and we could like hit like 130 and, and that like doesn't include like all the time to like brush your teeth and shower and all that other stuff uh yeah. so i ended up putting like i put on like 50 pounds like in a year Because I wasn't just wasn't moving. I was just like modeling all day and in PowerPoint and whatnot. So after I left and I I just knew that like the next gig had to be the right gig for me. Like it had to like fulfill me in a certain way. So I started thinking about, well, what's the next like logical step for bankers? Is it like PE? And I was like, well, PE is just investment banking 2.0. It's kind of the same thing. So like, no. so then it was, is it VC? So then I was like, oh, well, that sounds kind of interesting. So then I started kind of circling like BC waters for a bit. I was, I left banking last July and I was actually, my whole unemployment was eight months, which was a very long process. Yeah. Um, I'm sure it felt longer, right? Especially with felt, the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I was in a, like, again, a privileged situation in that, like, banking allowed me to, like, build up a nest egg yep. so that I could, like, eat and like live off of those savings for a while, but it was getting, it was getting down in the wire for sure. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And so then I started like getting into VC and I remember attending a webinar and there was this founder who was asked by one of the audience members if, if he would recommend they have operating experience before they become a VC. Uh, and the founder was like, absolutely. He, he said like 90% of VCs don't have operating experience before they like become VCs. And if you do get operating experience before, you'll be better than 90% of them. So that yeah. kind of like, that kind of got me thinking about, well, well what, what do I kind of want to do? Like, do I want to be on the investing side just yet? Or do I want to like roll up my sleeves and build something? So again, to so like the fulfilling, I, I thought for me personally, like, well it might be more fulfilling for me to actually build something like yeah. like work on a solution and, and build it out and maybe fail but like see it through so then i started looking at startups and coming from it's it's funny tech might be the only sector in which that like coming from an mba and wall street are like two knocks against you literally, it was funny it was like an uphill battle because like people either I don't know, like thought we would want too much money, which a lot of the case, like a lot of MBAs do like want high salaries, which is just hard to do at the early stage. So I had to fight that. I eventually found a a tech startup by Cash Drop. It's called Cash Drop. They do, it's like Shopify, mobile Shopify. You can set up a a storefront in minutes. And they're Chicago based. the founder is another, he's a Latino guy, Mexican. And I was just like, well, let me get some experience with them and see if I can help because it's also in finance and it's in tech and it's a great way, great way in. But it was just like impossible to get a hold of him. Like I reached them on like Instagram, <laughs> on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I even like a buddy that I have who was like one of their lead investors connected me through email and he still didn't respond. Yeah. So for me at the time, I was like, well, he's not saying no, he's just not responding. Yeah, like I need to do something so that he reacts and tells me yes or no. So then I ended up writing a jingle. I wrote a reggaeton jingle for their business and then posted it to Instagram, tagged them, and then instantly, like within five minutes, I got a DM from him saying, like, that was the biggest flex of 2020. Like (laughs) I want to meet you. Like, and then we ended up meeting and I like worked with them for a little bit. So that kind of got like I got some exposure into like early stage startups then. That's crazy though like what what
1: the heck was in your brain to be like let's let's straight up make a song for this guy
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah I had I had never made a song before believe it or not it wasn't like something that I just did. it was for some reason I was just like what I was new to social media too like I was just saying like in the Peace Corps it didn't really have internet didn't have socials I like just joined Twitter like when I was trying to like and like get their attention. So like I don't know. I don't know what unlocked in my brain. I like opened up GarageBand for the very first time and I was like, how do you use this thing? And then <laughs> and then like I thought about like how I would like pitch them on me. And yeah. then I guess that like then was like, okay, well, let me learn about the business. And as I learned about the business, for some reason I did so in rhymes. <laughs> and nice. then and it ended up being the song. And then I knew he was a land founder. So I was like, well, let me make this in Spanish then. And I think that was another way of kind of like, if I did it in Spanish, the people who don't understand Spanish couldn't judge me. So like, <laughs> it was a way to just limit the exposure, yeah. uh, but it ended up coming out good. And then I ended up, that was my approach. Uh, the cash drop didn't work out. We like worked together for a little bit, but going forward, I did like four more for different tech startups. Yeah. And it was just like this, this way of, it was like this litmus test for me to like, if I had enough energy to like come up with a song for that company, it was a good way of me knowing that I'm not faking it and vice versa. Like if the, if the company saw me rap their song and then they still wanted to meet me, that told me about their culture. Like that told me like, Oh sure. I can be myself there then. (laughs) That's so
1: there's a whole bunch of stuff. And unfortunately we don't have the time to go into like how crazy it was that you did this. But I think, the thing that stands out to me is you got very niche and focused on like, hey, I'm gonna target companies ran by Latinos, Latinx, whatever you want to call us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I I know they want I want them to be in tech because that's gonna help me move forward towards this possible VC opportunity. So you you kind of narrowed that. And then you came up with an actual strategy and and you didn't give up either. And you you saw what worked. So like I, just naming these things off and not even going into them in exact detail, but like, that's so many more steps than a normal person. So like, congrats, you definitely deserve where you're at. And and where are you now?
0: I'm at drift. So uh, (laughs) it's wild because I, when I started the job search, my initial inclination was to use LinkedIn and Mm -hmm. I used LinkedIn for a lot of it, but From what I saw, I guess, during that eight month period and when I joined Twitter, is that there's just so many opportunities on Twitter. Like you meet so many people, you can tag. For my jingles, I was able to tag CEOs of companies and get their attention. But I actually found my job through my teammate, Jen posted on it on Twitter. And I was just looking at my feed that day, saw the opportunity, DM'd her, we ended up talking, and then I went through an interview process and two weeks later I got the job. So it was like this eight month process because yeah. of like happenstance and I was like checking my Twitter feed. Like, had I not checked my Twitter feed, who knows if I would still be like searching. Yeah, uh, but It all kind of like worked out. And in terms of like that eight month period, yeah, I was, I was very intentional. Like I would, I definitely wrote a cover letter for every single company I applied to. Yeah. Uh, another it's a, It was another exercise in like thinking about why I wanted to work there but I only applied to in that eight month period, seven or eight companies. And because I think I took that extra extra effort in each of those, I got callbacks from all of them and interviewed with all of them. That's amazing. So like, yeah, so it was just like, it, it goes to show, like if you if, if you have the time and an ability to put in the extra effort, like it, it, it does set you apart from the rest of the candidates who are just dropping in their resume.
1: Yeah. So what are you doing with Drift now? Because I I know we're going to drop a link to your team's kind of webpage. So anyone that wants to or has a startup can reach out to you and your team and kind of get some some things rocking and rolling there.
0: Yeah. So so I'm with Drift for Startups. So we essentially, Drift is a a SaaS company that essentially does marketing and sales software. So -hmm. what Drift does is just allows you to have more conversations with the people that come to your site and it's like 24/7 365 and on top of that it just it just helps you get more leads because you don't always have to be on your site monitoring yeah and the reason I actually found drift was when I was at cash drop or working with them i they had a great product but it was really hard to cut through all the noise out there and and get it in people's hands and yeah that's when I was like, well, I'm I well, not from a marketing background. So I Googled like marketing software, marketing resources, and Drift has like this huge content library about like, like con- uh, conversational sales, conversational marketing, they created the category on conversational yes. sales, yep. was, like an approach of like, yeah, talking with your customers. So then I like took all those certifications, and then really realized that like distribution is kind of everything. Like you need to be able to set yourself apart from all of the competition because like eyeballs, especially on the internet, when it comes to just software companies, like if they come to your site and they have a bad experience, they can just easily click to a next site. Like it, it so yep, you need sure. to engage them and meet them where they are. And Drift kind of allows that. So Drift for startups allows that, but at a very discounted price point, because we know like startups don't have, have that much capital on hand. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <You know? laughs> But like Drift itself was a startup, just a, a budding startup five years ago. So our founders, DC and Elias, were like, well, let's, let's, let's give this product out there that we know founders can use. Yeah. Let's let's discount it and then let's kind of set a pay as you grow model. So then as the startups that are on our program scale up, we'll charge them a bit more and, and then graduate them into a premium enterprise plan, but at least yeah. give them all the functionalities that they need to augment their teams in order to just Try and, try and get more business. That's amazing. And
1: I, I can tell just from my own personal business experience and, and a lot of the other businesses I've kind of ran into and kind of met, like the hardest thing by far is getting people to, to be aware of you and know of you. Then then the second hardest thing is getting them to take action. And I, I did actually explore Drift. I think I set up an account. And one of the my issues that I have being in financial planning is the compliance side of things so i was like oh like how do i how do i track this stuff and and do it in a compliant way i was like you know what i really don't want to get sued and and kind of shut down so early in the process (laughs) and so i turned it off but i think i I need to push and see if i can find some compliance avenues because there's actually some fun stuff that like i started thinking of like because you can build out like a whole whole conversation like you said like that, yeah. that's ridiculous. And, and that's a way I can start connecting people with stuff that they want to find like right away. Maybe they don't know how to do the exact search term, but I can plug in and create like a whole bunch of different pathways, right. And routes. And like, I was like, wow. dude, this, this thing seems like amazingly cool, but I, I don't know. I think I'd get in trouble <laughs> if, <laughs> if, if I don't get the compliance stuff kind of squared away. And so I went away from it. That was probably like two or three years ago, but it's so, so critical of Having people be aware of you once they find you actually being engaged to you, be like, oh, this person cares enough, knows enough, and is going to be a good fit, and and drift will take care of that, and that's awesome. That it's kind of discounted because yeah, it's a huge hurdle, <laughs> uh, initially <Yeah. laughs> for any type of business starting out. It's like crap. Like everyone wants money from me. Like where where's the best place to put it? And it and it definitely helps if it grows with them along the way. So that's that's amazing. So uh, the last question I have for you is you, you actually tweeted today about potential. Like, what does potential mean for you?
0: I've been on this superpower kick lately, and it's, it's, it's something I hadn't really intentionally thought about for the last, I guess, 30 years. And, and I know a lot of people call it uh, different like firms. I know McKinsey calls it like spikes. So it's like hone in on your spike or hone in on what you're very good at or what you're good at that other people find hard and that comes easy to you. And I think that's what kind of potential is. We're, we're all different. We all have external factors, kind of like that nurture side that affects us. But we also have all these internal like personalities that when like when when mixed together creates this very unique individual that has a very has unique talents to offer the world that don't necessarily get discovered unless someone intentionally either focuses on it or they meet like external resources and they get exposure to things like there's this scene from this movie I don't know if you've seen the movie uh, Sold the new one from Pixar. I have, but I have little kids running around all the time. So I, like, I saw
1: it in increments while taking care of some of the other kids. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's a great movie. Nope, nope. Um, and there's this scene in the movie where I think it's Jamie Foxx's character takes one of the, I think she's like a little girl soul into this like vast room. And in the room, there's absolutely everything activity that she could try from like violin to playing the piano to like singing to art yeah. and like she needs to find like the specific one for her in order to like be on earth like to, to like and i think that's like such a beautiful thing because i would there's so many people out there that haven't been exposed to the right thing for them and if yeah. if there was just like some room out there that they could literally try absolutely everything yeah. until they found like their one thing We'd have, uh, we'd have literally just geniuses walking around because yeah. like that's what, that's what happens when, when, you have, when you meet someone's superpower with that activity that enables it.
1: For sure, yeah. And it kind of makes me think of, yeah, unlocking people. And I can just think of my life and in some of the stories of my guests and other people I've had on where it's like there's critical moments or critical people that just kind of happened by chance. And all of a sudden your trajectory changes because yeah, you, you unlock something and you realize like, Oh, that could definitely build upon this strength and and something that's you mentioned it earlier, like your calling. So you, like all these things kind of have to line up and it, it's tricky. And some people get those things later on in life than, than others. But yeah, that's, that's an awesome explanation for kind of potential. I've, I've always been a fan of potential because I, one of my biggest issues, I know a lot of people waste it just from
0: yeah.
1: like just not not caring as much or just not <laughs> I don't even know how to explain it because I guess I'm just not worried that way. but there's clearly room for growth and and different possibilities, but a lot of people just kind of settle, I guess. and and so that's like kind of the most frustrating thing for me to see. so yeah. I, I really appreciate you coming on the show today and We're gonna stick around and talk a little bit more.
0: (laughs) Awesome, sounds good. Thank you for having me on, it's been (laughs) awesome.
1: Thank you so much for listening to Techie Personal Finance Bootcamp. You can find show notes by visiting levelupfinancialplanning.com and finding the podcast page. You'll also be able to find strategy guides, videos, and cheat sheets to help you take your financial confidence to the next level. If you feel this episode has added a ton of value for you, please rate and share this with friends and colleagues. Catch you next time on Techie Personal Finance Bootcamp.